Our Bible, our Bible reading tonight comes from Matthew chapter 1, uh, commencing at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now invite Lauren to come and speak to us. Let me pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for these words. And as we consider them, and as Lauren brings the message that she has prepared, we pray that you would bless her, speak through her. And would we have ears and hearts to hear what you're saying to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Good evening, everyone. Hi, my name is Lauren, and yes, I am the melancholy soul who likes my Christmas carols with a little bit of lament. Uh, if you want to know why, you can uh, go to the church YouTube channel and look at my sermon from this time last year <laughs> when I talked about how much I love lamenting at Christmas. Um, but yes, it's lovely to be here tonight, uh, to be preaching to a room with actual humans in it, which apart from this morning, I haven't done since I think February 2020. Um, so it's, it's lovely to see you here tonight and lovely for those who are joining with us uh, from home as well. How wonderful to share in this time of Advent together. Well, we've been very much getting into the Christmas spirit today at QBAPS. Uh, this morning, our 10 a.m. congregation had a special family Christmas service complete with nativity play. Uh, the nativity was very aptly named A Very Merry Messy Christmas. Uh, and it was you know, mildly chaotic, but as I think all good nativity plays should be. I confess, if a children's nativity play runs exactly to scripted plan, I kind of feel a bit shortchanged because like the mistakes are just so entertaining. I don't know if that says about me. Uh, there's just, I don't know, something about the, the beauty and the innocence of, you know, children's spontaneity and, and creativity. One of my favourites actually is the story that uh, Sir Ken Robinson tells in his famous TED talk about education. He recounts this anecdote of his four-year-old son's nativity play and the moment where the, the three wise men appear with their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and the first little boy comes up and says, I bring you gold. And the second little boy comes along and says, I bring you myrrh. And then the third little boy comes on and says, Frank sent this. <laughs> Which, you know, aside from just being a source of amusement, I actually think the case of nativity plays not going exactly to plan 
arguably has something of a a profound resonance to it. Because when we think of the characters in the original story, I mean, so much of those events would have been not according to their plans. In many ways, the whole nativity story is quite messy. You know, from the unexpected pregnancy out of wedlock to, you know, having to rush back to their hometowns for this census and then, you know, no room at the inn and the baby born and placed in the animal feeding trough. I mean, really, it's a story worthy of COVID times. I mean, just substitute the census travel with, you know, being forced home because of border closures or lockdowns or no room at the inn because of, you know, density limits at the venue. <laughs> I mean, I think we can see so much of our, our current climate of messiness and uncertainty through the experience of these characters. And the key message for them is still the key message for us. And it's a message we just heard in Matthew's account where he says they will call the baby Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. You know, it's one of those phrases that, you know, you've probably heard countless times, especially in the retelling of the Christmas story. But sometimes in our familiarity, in our over-familiarity, we can run the risk of glossing over just how remarkable this promise actually is. The promise of God with us. God with us. I mean, this was radical. To help us understand just how how radical this is, we're going to take the advice of Maria from The Sound of Music and start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Uh, We're going to go all the way back to Genesis and the beginning of creation. We look at God's original design in the, the paradise of Eden. God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he was with them, communing with them, enjoying fellowship with them. I love this, this passing reference in Genesis 3 where it talks of Adam and Eve hearing the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what a beautiful picture, you know, God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, God very much with his people. And this was our original created purpose for fellowship and relationship with our maker. But then, of course, comes the fall. Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent. They disobey God. They fall into sin. And the painful consequence of their sin is separation from God. So they're banished from the garden, they're sent away, and now marked by this sinfulness, humanity can no longer stand in the presence of the most holy God, as holiness and sinfulness are incompatible. So we've gone from this paradise of, of communion in Eden to a, a new reality of separation. And you know, for a glimpse of what this separation looked like, we can just turn ahead to Exodus and Leviticus and see the new terms under which God now dwells with his people. Uh, at this point, let me just allay any concerns you might have and assure you I'm not about to go through all 66 books of the Bible one by one. Uh, it's just a brief foray into Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus before flashing right forward back to the New Testament. So don't panic and stay with me. Uh, So under what we now refer to as the Old Covenant, God's presence with his people is expressed through the tabernacle. So God, through Moses, directs the people to construct the tabernacle so that he can make his dwelling place among them. Now, the instructions are very comprehensive. There's fascinating details and all this symbolic significance that we do not have time to delve into tonight. 
But I just want to fly over some of the layers of, of separation at work. Yes, God made his dwelling place among his people, but his presence is, is mediated through this intricate sacrificial system. Again, it's, it's working through that incompatibility of, of holiness and sinfulness. So for a, a person to enter into this, this holy presence in the tabernacle, you know, first these, these sacrifices had to be offered as atonement for the people's sin. There were very specific rules for what sacrifices and what offerings had to be made for what specific circumstances. And, and these could only be performed by the priests on behalf of the people. You know, an anointed intercessor is required. And so for the average person, you can already see that there's these multiple layers of separation that exist. And on top of that, within the tabernacle, you had what was called the most holy place or the holy of holies, home to the Ark of the Covenant, And this was behind a shielding curtain separation. And it was only the singular high priest who was ever permitted to enter. So just one person from the entire people group. And even then, he could only enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, this is all a far cry from the simplicity of God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, we can see the the sheer impact of sin in the world and how much it separates us from God. But then enter Jesus. As it says in John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or as it quite literally translates, he tabernacled among us. So what was foreshadowed through the old covenant was now realized through the person of Jesus, where all the fullness of God dwelled in bodily form, not shielded by curtains or or mediated by anointed priests, but right among the people in the frailty of human flesh. God with us. And this is so much more remarkable and, and radical, I think, than the God with us from back in Genesis, because Unlike the the perfection of paradise in Eden, here, God has descended right into the midst of a sinful, broken world. It's God with us in the mess, in the chaos, in the fallenness. And what I love about these words, God with us, is that it's not just some empty platitude. God doesn't say, I'm with you, and then just flake out or remain aloof. No, when he says, I'm with you, he means it. He doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk and he has real gritty follow through. And he demonstrates this through Jesus, through the one who came not to be served, but to serve. The one who bore the full weight of humanity's sin. The one who was called the man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. The one who was tried and tested in every way so he can empathize with our weaknesses because he has traversed those same valleys. From the manger to the cross, this truly is a God who is with us in the most profound way imaginable. It actually reminds me of this Beautiful scene from one of my favourite episodes of The West Wing. Uh, If you'll permit me, yet another West Wing reference in my sermons. It is my favourite show. 
Um, it's actually in one of their Christmas episodes, which is just coincidental. I don't think they meant the significance that I'm about to put on it. Uh, but one of the characters, Josh, has been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And his boss, Leo, a recovering alcoholic, uh, comes to show support and, and solidarity in this time of struggle. And he encourages Josh by way of telling this little story. It's almost like a parable. And he says to Josh, This guy's walking down a street when he falls in a hole and the walls are so steep that he can't get out. And a doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? And the doctor writes out a prescription, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? And the priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a friend comes by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. And our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. When we were stuck in our sin, when we couldn't find our own way back to God, he jumped down into the hole He meets us in the mess, but he doesn't leave us in the mess. He came down to show us the way out. As Zechariah prophesies in Luke chapter 1, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Or as Jesus himself proclaims in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He comes to us with the promise of redemption, the joy of salvation, the hope of restoration, the fullness of life. And this is offered to everyone. You know, as the angels famously proclaimed, it is good news of great joy for all people, for all people. You don't have to belong to some elite subsection of society. You don't need to be well-connected or have the right upbringing. You don't have to tick certain boxes or fit the mold. You don't have to prove yourself or have some squeaky clean track record to qualify. No, this gift of life from Jesus is not offered on the basis of our own efforts or merit. It is simply offered on the basis of God's extravagant love. It is by his grace that we are redeemed. As we read in 2 Corinthians 12, his grace is sufficient for his power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. It is in our weakness, in our failings, in our brokenness that God meets us most profoundly. Jesus himself declared that he came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He came for the weak. He came for the lowly, the sinners, the outcasts, the nobodies. And this heart of the gospel is embodied through the incarnation, through the birth of Jesus. I mean, how do we know that God came for the lowest of the lows? Because he became the lowest of the lows. He made himself nothing. He comes to meet us in our mess, in our brokenness. 
He sees and knows our pain. He acknowledges and identifies with our worst. But he also guarantees us his best. He offers us profound, life-changing hope and assures us that this mess is not the end of our story. So in light of this good news of great joy of the Christmas story, I want to put to us two questions, two challenges for today. As we celebrate this glorious truth of God with us, I firstly invite you to ask yourself, if God is with us, are you with God? Are you with God? Now, for some of you, that might be a very literal question. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Have you committed your life to Christ? Because God has come to be with you. He wants to be with you. Will you respond to his extravagant gift of grace? Will you choose to be with him? Will you receive his transforming love? Will you step into his marvellous light and behold the fullness of life? I mean, if this is you tonight, I really encourage you to come and chat with one of the ministry team after the service with myself or with Mark or with Jeff. We would love to talk more with you and to pray with you. For those of you who already call yourselves followers of Jesus, I still invite you to consider this same question. Are you with God? I think this question is an opportunity for us to examine the state of our own hearts. There's a lyric I love from a Christmas song by Sovereign Grace. uh, And the line says, Oh, our hearts, as busy as Bethlehem, hear him knock. Don't say there's no room at the inn. You know, so often, too often, we can be only with God in lip service, but not with our whole hearts. And I think, especially at this time of year, where we can be so caught up in the the pre-Christmas chaos and busyness, or maybe just burnt out from the fatigue of the year, when there's so much just competing for our time and our energy, our attention, or perhaps just so much mental and emotional clutter to wade through. Church, I want to encourage us this Advent season to not just give God our leftovers, but to heed the words of the famous carol and prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Let's remember and rejoice in the radical links that God has taken to be with us. Let us recenter our hearts in his presence. Let us choose to be truly with the God who has come to be with us. The second and final question that I want to put to you tonight, just going one step further from are you with God, is are you with God with others? Are you with God with others? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, this is the other key part of God with us. It's God with us, plural. You know, when we walk with Jesus, when we receive his salvation, when we are redeemed and transformed by his grace, this is not something just for ourselves. You know, it is not an individualistic God with me. It is a message of God with us. It is a message of hope for a world that sorely needs to hear it. And as disciples of Jesus, we are called to be ambassadors of that hope. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is our story. This is our song. If God is with us, if we are with God, then our call is to embody the hope of the gospel, to be a living testimony of his goodness and light through the brokenness of our own lives to show the all-sufficiency of his grace. And in the brokenness of this world, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to love as he first loved us. Jesus Christ is our living hope. So let us to live hope this season, for God is with us. Let's pray. Oh, loving God, we thank you and praise you that you are a God who is with us, truly with us. Thank you that you meet us where we are, that you meet us in the mess, but you also don't leave us in the mess. By your grace, you invite us to step into your marvelous light and behold the fullness of life. You restore you redeem, you are our living hope. Lord, in the the messiness and the busyness of this Christmas season, would you help us to recenter our hearts in your presence, that we would be truly with you and that we would shine your light for all to see. For you are our light. You are our glorious saviour. You are our king of kings. We praise you and thank you for all that you are and all that you have done. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lauren.